This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today on Front Row Rugby, we're joined by Springbok legend, former loose forward and former captain, Adrian Richter. Adrian, it's lovely to have you on Front Row Rugby. Welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Okay, let's start in 1992. South Africa obviously had been isolated from international sport for a long time. We're back now in rugby, playing the All Blacks at Ellis Park. You must have been excited to be back in international rugby, but at the same time a little bit disappointed not to have been part of that team at Ellis Park. Talk to me about your emotions at that time. Oh, definitely. You know, you, you, we, we all want to play. Remember, that's the most important thing. Everybody wants to be on the field. Everybody wants to be in the team. But still, uh, the supporting and being around it and is also very important and that was a very disappointing time for me not to be on the field but also very proud to 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 have been able to help to get there that's also very important so yeah it it was both ways but i think the disappointment of not being on the field is a bit more than the other way around yeah that disappointment, I assume, was dissipated somewhat when you got to go on the tour to France and England and you were actually in the starting 15. Uh, how special was that experience? Yeah, that was very special to go out for the first time, go overseas as a Springbok uh, for how many years that we didn't play. Going to France, yeah, very difficult. Um, but uh, seeing that we had to play on Sundays, and that was different for a lot of people back home. It wasn't used to. So there was a lot of emotions going into the tour. Uh, a lot of uncertainties, a lot of don't know what to go, what's going to happen and, and what's going to happen. So, yeah, it was a very, very eager time to go to France and England. It was good. So I've got to ask you then, having missed out against the All Blacks and the Wallabies and then starting against France, going into that tour, were you expecting to be the number eight? No. Um, I Like, we played a few games before and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the coach's idea is. I played well. I had a good time. And um, I played some good games against France and, and, and the the teams there, the club team. So it was going well. Um, I was happy, very happy and very surprised to be in the starting lineup. And then I've, I've gone back and looked at, uh, at the starting 15s across that period, 92 to 95. Uh, you missed out entirely in 1993. Was that because of injury or was it because Ian McIntosh just had a, a, pref a different option or preferred option? Yeah, that was now a new coach again and I missed out. Uh, he had his selection of guys that he used and uh, I missed totally out in that whole year. Um, yeah, that was disappointing coming back from France and England and play in all the tests and then all of a sudden being um, left out. Uh, I thought I was playing very good rugby at the time and everything was going well. But um, yeah, a coach is a coach. He can decide and that's it. But Ian McIntosh did bring you back uh, for the second test against England in 94 in Cape Town. I remember we actually lost really badly at Loftus in the first one. Now, I know you didn't play in that test match. You were only there in the second one. But I'm keen to hear from you. What was the build-up like to that second test? It was totally different, I think, from the first one I heard. Because the guys were sort of, yeah, you know, it's England, but we're going to win and it's going to be a... Not, not a certainty, but we are good. And then they got knocked. 
And Macintosh decided to change a lot of the tar guys. And I came and I got some time. And yeah, it was a good, very good win for us um, at the end to, uh, to, to, to beat England. And yeah, then everything changed a bit again with Macintosh. And then off to New Zealand as well. Um, I spoke to Peter Miller actually on Front Row Rugby uh, in a previous episode. And he said that that was the most, or, or rather, let me put it this way, it was the toughest tour that he experienced as a Springbok. Would you go along with that? Uh, definitely my experience. You know, France was very difficult. Eh? I must be honest, um, we traveled, I think, 7,000 miles in France in seven weeks because we played in the south, then in the north, and then coming back to the south, and it was all on the bus. So it was very difficult. But New Zealand, to travel there, play Friday games, uh, midweek games, Wednesdays that nobody's doing anymore, and then go and play a test on, on, on a Saturday. And, and that was the hardest tour I ever had, definitely, playing the All Blacks on a Saturday, Wednesday have another game against a club. And, and they just keep coming. They just keep coming and they all want to win. And, and it was hard, yeah. You mentioned that different coaches have different ideas. Uh, McIntosh obviously uh, was sacked at the end of that uh, tour to New Zealand. And in came Kitch Christie. You didn't go on the 94 tour to, to Wales and Scotland, uh, as far as I'm aware. Uh, was that, um, again, because the coach just had a different uh, preferred option or was it an injury? No, again, I think Kitch had his guys from Transvaal, Rudolf Troilly, and that was his number eight and Francois and whatever. So he went with that again and went on tour. Yeah, again, very disappointing for me that after you play three tests, you just, you know, just get dropped. And that was difficult. That that was um, every time you think you're good and then all of a sudden you have to start all over again. However, you were back in the Springbok squad for the 1995 Rugby World Cup. So I would like to think that that probably makes up a little bit uh, for, for not getting the go on the tour. And you got to captain the Springboks as well uh, in that test against Romania at Newlands. How special was that occasion for you? Uh, again, to get back in the squad was a very big surprise because there was Tian Strauss and Rudolf that was preferred ahead of me um, by Kitsch. And then all of a sudden... Uh, he left Tion Strauss out and he, 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 he chose me. And yeah, then we started training and I thought, okay, I, I got a chance again. I have to produce. And um, yeah, we trained hard. I trained very hard. Um, and yeah, I got my chance against uh, uh, Romania. We knew they're playing a very difficult rugby. It's it's uh, um, one of those things. Uh, they, they they are very hard and strong and and and. and uh, you know, but they play a very negative sort of rugby, and 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 uh, they don't play a constructive rugby. They play a very negative rugby, and we knew it's going to be very hard. And because of the second stringers that we were about all of them, we didn't have that much experience um, in test rugby. So we had to dig deep uh, eventually to win the game. But it, it was 
afterwards, it was hard. We Everybody knew they had a game. Although those are not very famous guys, but they play a very hard game. It was interesting because at the time, I think a lot of people, especially after the big win over Australia in the opening game, I think a lot of people were thinking, okay, it's Romania, a weaker opponent. This is going to be 40, 50, 60, 70 points even uh, for the Springboks. Uh, but it didn't turn out that way. I, I remember as well, after the 99 World Cup, Rassi Rasmus spoke about opponents like Spain and Uruguay. And the way he described them was similar to what you were saying there in that they don't really play structured rugby as it were and and i remember him actually using the term they bugger up what you what you are trying to do uh, I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that when you start training and, and you've got a sort of a game plan you know what to do and what's going to happen and what second phase first third phase and even fourth or fifth phase you can plan but against a team like that when you get to your second phase and they started falling falling over or holding onto the ball and the ref isn't quick enough to 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 penalize them or whatever then everything gets disorganized you as a player start to feel yes i must take law in my own hands and do something and you know then everybody's mind shift changes and say but i'm not concentrating on my game anymore i'm concentrating on the guy to play the guy, not the ball. And that is where they uh, play a very negative uh, uh, rugby. They keep playing the player and then killing the ball, you know, late tackles and stuff like that, or a punch here or a punch here and, and stuff like that. And then everything gets disorganized. And, and like Rasi says, it buggers up your whole plan. And yeah, we we didn't expect to win that far. Kitch warned us. Um, I must be honest, he, he said he went and, and watched a few of their games. And they play a very negative rugby. So the score is not going to be high. That's what he said. I can remember that specifically for me as well. He said, just take the guys. They are not as um, uh, uh, experienced as the other team because we had all the youngsters in there. But just keep them together and just win the game. That's the most important. And this win is as good as the Australian win. It all goes that you must win the game. If you lose, you're out. But if you win the game, you win the game. And it doesn't say you win by 40 or win by 60. You won the game. Finish. Indeed. And something else that I think is, I think anyway, is quite cool from your point of view is there can't be too many, uh, let's say, tier one rugby players who have a test match against Romania to their name. It's um, interesting that you play in a World Cup against a team like that. Normally they go with, uh, for a friendly or something or just a promotion game. But to play in a World Cup against Romania, yeah, that's, that's different. That's and not everybody plays Romania as a super team against a lower team. So, yeah, no, that is something different. Now, the next match was against Canada. Uh, I know that there was all sorts of drama with the, with the lights, the floodlights going out before kickoff, and there was a long delay. And we know about the, the, the punch-up in the second half and all that. That said, I remember clearly at the time there were reports about uh, Kitsch having had or identifying a green team and a gold team, right? And, and presumably it was the gold team that played Romania, the green team that played Australia. You stay in the side for the Canada match and guys like Francois Pinot, Joel Stransky came back into the 15 uh, for that match in Port Elizabeth uh, or as it was called at the time. 
I'm wondering, did you think by being selected for that match that you were going to stay in the side beyond the, the, the knockout rounds? Or was that always part of Kitch's plan? Kitch was a mastermind and he was very good in what he did. So nobody know exactly. But it wasn't the golden or green team. It was the golden highway or the green uh, way to go through the, through the finals. So if we win Australia... Then we've got a green because it's easier, a green path. It would have been easier to go into uh, the final. If we lost Australia, it would have been a gold one because it would be very um, more difficult playing New Zealand in the semifinals and stuff like that. So that was the way he thought. So that was for him so important to, to go um, the green way and beat Australia and then have a more or less easier full, for, uh, way into the final. Um, when I played Canada, I knew he wants to spare a few guys. Uh, that was important for him. But the more you play, the better you get, the more experience you get. So I didn't mind playing. Um, I was a bit skeptic about getting into the final, but the newspaper said that I was possibly the better choice for the speed to, to get Lomo and stuff like that. And yeah, you have hoped, everybody hoped you play in the final, but you had to see what's going on. I was on the bench for um, um, Samoa and I played as well 10 minutes there and I had also a very good time. So yeah, I thought this, something might happen, but yeah. Indeed. Okay, now, Adrian, I've got to throw this at you because you mentioned Jonah Lomu, and I want to talk a little bit about, about him, and I'm actually going to make a comparison, right? 1995 Rugby World Cup, everybody talks about Jonah as being the, the sort of poster boy of the tournament, the first global superstar of rugby, etc., etc., right? And that is not without its merits. However, I want to say this. You played against Romania, you played against Canada, scored two tries in both of those matches. That's four tries in two tests in the pool stage. Jonah had only scored two tries up until that point in the World Cup. Was Adrian Richter not the try-scoring machine of the 95 World Cup? Now, Chester was. Me and him was going well at, at four each. Um, I nearly had a time to score a fifth one in that last best of um, our game. Uh, but Kitsch... Uh, um, Jesse went on his own and he scored the try. That's why he got four as well. Too. So, yeah, it was a good thing. But, yeah, you know, you can't say that. We, we, we had a very good scrum and um, we, we went with the scrums and I got the tries through the scrum. But, yeah, we, we could have scored other ways as well. But if you get it and you can scrum, take uh, the, the, the try and, and finish. I think you were only 29 uh, when we won the Rugby World Cup, but you didn't play another test match for the Springboks. Uh, how disappointing is that? Yeah, you know, after the World Cup, again, a, a, a coach changed. And I knew I wasn't the favourite for the new coach. So, yeah, you know, it is very poignant. Although I played, I think I was 27. Yeah, 27. And um, although I played better than... The person that was chosen, it was again a new coach, new captain, and yeah, what, what can you say? Uh, it's one of those things. You just are lucky or you're not lucky. You mentioned the new captain. Francois Pino was obviously the 95 captain. There's been all sorts of stories, documentations. Francois wrote about it in his book as well, Rainbow Warrior, about the professional contracts that were offered to the players uh, in the lead-up to the final. I'm keen to hear what your story is uh, in terms of those contracts being offered. 
Ah, uh, there was a lot of stories, you know. We didn't know exactly um, because Francois did all the talking and everybody just said, okay, what can you do? You don't know the ins and outs. He talked with Louis Late, he talked with Murdoch, he talked with all the other captains. So that was a very close sort of story. There's your contract. Either you take it or you don't take it or you get it or you don't get it. But, yeah, we... Everybody wanted something out of rugby. So, yeah, we accepted the contracts because you're working and you don't get anything back. So, yeah, it was important to, to get something as well. Um, sort of professional era to, to start with it. Okay, Adrian, we're going to try and finish on a high now. Tell me, what was the funniest or most memorable moment for you off the field during that 1995 World Cup? There were so many, but I know Quibbers and uh, Bali, yes, they're very naughty. And we went to the harbour the one time, and they sort of disappeared, and we got back to the hotel, and we had a team talk, and we had a good time, and suddenly the two is gone, and everybody's having uh, just a bit of drink and talking. And that night, we went somewhere, I don't, can't remember exactly, but we came back late, say, 11 or 12 o'clock. Yeah, and when we got into our rooms, it was stinking. I love a lot. So they put the Cape Town fish, um, what's it? Um, not snook, it's the other one that smells a hell of a lot. They put in everyone's cushion a piece of that fish. So we couldn't sleep on the cushions that night. We couldn't sleep in the rooms because it was so stinking. And everybody was swearing and everybody was knew exactly what it is. And they went and sleep, locked their door. Nobody could get in and they slept well. And everybody else was terrible at that morning, you know, at practice because we didn't sleep at all. It was so smelly and it was fraught, fraught. So it was very a good time. We were crushed, but after we laughed and had a good time again. So, yeah, it was just funny. Smelling like fish, everybody. <laughs> That's wonderful. Arden Richter, that brings an end to our conversation here on Front Row Rugby today. Thank you very much for your time. It was lovely to have you on. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for remembering us and uh, talking to us. You know, it's always a good time to talk about a good old years. And uh, it was nice. In the previous episode of Front Row Rugby, we had Johan Steger with us. You can go and watch that video by clicking on the link appearing on your screen right now. Next time, Andre Hubert will join us. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.